your Bibles this, this morning, if you will, and turn over to 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2. And boy, I hope that you'll give me your undivided attention today. As I talk about this subject, the most hated Christian doctrine. And uh, so this might be, and we're not gonna really attack or we're really not gonna talk about a lot of the um, present day controversies that are, that are raging, not directly, but indirectly, this might, be, this might be the most politically incorrect message I've ever preached in the 30 years that I've been here at Calvary. And so I'm thankful that the Lord showed me this and, um, and I wanna show it to you this morning if I could. First Peter chapter two, I've got verses seven and eight on the screen, but let's read more than that, all right? So let's stand uh, this morning, if you would, and let's start in verse number one. We'll work our, down, our, work our way down through verse number eight. First uh, Peter chapter two, and uh, if we read the first eight verses, I believe it'll get us a little bit better understanding of what we're talking about here. First Peter two, verse one, wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Notice verse four, to whom coming as unto a living stone, notice this next phrase, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders, and there's that word again, the, the, the Bible says the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. And verses seven and eight are our text this morning. In fact, why don't I read that one more time? Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. <laughs> Can I get an amen right there? Amen. Boy, that's worthy one, isn't it? But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And I wanna to talk to you a little bit about that subject this morning. You may be seated as I talk about the most hated Christian doctrine. And it, and it really is. And I'm gonna pray, but let me just say that this is, um, the doctrine I'm gonna preach this morning is the doctrine that makes what we believe totally different than than uh, most all other religions in the world. And so I hope that you'll, uh, boy, I hope you'll hear me out. And uh, I hope the Lord will speak to your heart this morning. Let's pray and ask God to help us today. Father, we love you. And thank you so much for the privilege to be back at Calvary. And uh, Lord, it's been a great service. Thank you for the wonderful music. Lord, I love, love congregational singing. 
and I've enjoyed that today. And then our choir, Lord, they just, you, you blessed them, and Lord, they just did such a great job, ministered to us. And then, Lord, thank you for using Sister Lori to remind us, Lord, that we're so blessed. Lord, you daily loadeth us with benefits, and we just thank you for the privilege to be here today. Now, Lord, please, would you do this? Would you hide us behind the cross? God, I don't know. There's so much I don't know, but I do know this. Satan does not want this message preached. That I'm sure of. And I'm also sure that he would do anything to try to take away from this message. And so, Holy Spirit, right now, we pray that you might bind the powers of darkness and keep them away. And I pray, Father, that you'd keep your blessings in. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless the reading and the preaching and the teaching of thy word. And, and Lord, I pray that it would not fall upon hard hearts and deaf ears, but God, I pray that it would fall upon tender hearts and open ears. And God, I pray that we would hear the message and I pray that we would take it and use it and apply it. And Father, we pray most of all that Jesus will receive glory and praise from it all. Now, Lord, I'm I'm praying for that one that might be here today or maybe watching by way of the live stream and they don't know for sure they're on their way to heaven. Lord, Lord, use this time to remind them of how they need a savior. And God, I pray that you'd stir us all today. We thank you for your blessings, Lord. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake and all God's people said, amen. Verse number seven that we read just a moment ago uh, Peter was actually quoting from Psalm 118 and verse 22. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. But the psalmist said in Psalm 118 verse 22, the stone which the builders refused is become the head of the corner. Interesting, interesting uh, story that goes behind this scripture that we read in 1 Peter chapter 2 and also there in Psalm 118 and verse 22. The tradition is centered around the building of the temple in Solomon's day, and history, and not just history, but scripture tell us that the temple's construction was made of stone, and some of those stones were uh, amazing stones. In fact, think about this. This was before the day of excavators and cranes and heavy equipment, but one of the main stones that was used for the building of the temple was known to weigh as much as 570 tons. <laughs> well, how do you move a stone like that without a crane? And just uh, really just amazing as you start looking into the story, every stone, and you folks, and we have several in our church that are builders and contractors, and I, just, I think this is gonna be really interesting to you, but every stone was precisely cut and created before it arrived at the temple. So somebody did, some, did an amazing job of architectural plans and engineering plans, and so every stone was absolutely cut and created before it arrived on scene. In fact, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7 tells us that as the temple was being built, there was not the sound of a hammer, an ax, or any tool while the temple was being erected. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that's amazing. That is an, that's amazing stuff. Every stone was perfect. And each stone was slid into place as the temple was being constructed. An early tradition tells us that at the beginning of the project, when the 
temple was beginning to be built that a great stone was sent up from the quarry. But for some reason, the builders could make no sense of it and the stone did not seem to fit. And so it became, that stone became what was known as the disallowed stone. In fact, since they could not make that stone fit, they pushed it to the side. As the construction uh, progressed, other stones began to arrive and that disallowed stone was in the way as they were trying to make room for all the stones and some of those stones were uh, monstrosities. That disallowed stone became in the way and so finally, that stone, that disallowed stone was finally pushed over the hill to make room for all the other stones and eventually it was forgotten about. Finally, when all the stones had been fitted into place, the builders sent word down to the quarry and this was the message, send up the cornerstone. The building was finished except for the cornerstone and word came back. We already sent the cornerstone. It was the first stone that we sent at the beginning. And the builders remembered, oh my, that's that stone. The stone that we disallowed, the stone that we couldn't make fit, the stone that was refused, and even the stone that was pushed over the hill. And so now with great pain and effort, They had to haul that stone back to the top of the hill. And as they did, they found that that stone fit perfectly into place. You say, Pastor, what's that all about? Well, that's a picture of Jesus. He is that stone that was disallowed. He is that stone that was refused. He is that stone that that was rejected. And by the way, is still being rejected in 2022. The Lord Jesus Christ is that chief corner stone. That's what the Bible's talking about there in 1 Peter chapter two. That stone that the builders disallowed is the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, think about that, disallowed, refused, rejected, pushed to the side, forgotten about. Well, that pretty sums up Jesus nowadays, doesn't it? Interestingly, the Bible not only refers to Christ as the head of the corner, but look at this. It refers to Jesus as a rock of offense. Look back at our scripture again, 1 Peter 2 and verse 8. The Bible refers to the Lord in verse 8 as a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Offense. It's the Greek word scandalon. we, We get a word from that. It's the word scandal. And and in other words, he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of scandal. It means a cause of displeasure is what it means, a cause of displeasure. He is a stone of stumbling and a rock of displeasure. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. Why does it seem that so many are offended at Jesus Christ? And yet they are. Did you know that, did you know people don't mind 
They don't mind you talking about every other religion. They don't mind you talking about Muhammad all day. They don't mind you mentioning Islam, Hare Krishna. They don't mind if some guy dresses up in a robe uh, and uh, walks through the airport and says, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, and passes out flowers. And they don't mind, you know, if you want to talk about Joseph Smith and Charles Taze Russell. And they don't mind if you want to uh, put movies out about the devil and demons and all these kind of things. But whatever you do, don't mention Jesus. Don't mention Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do, but whatever you do, don't have a football coach go out onto the field and kneel in the middle of the field and pray in Jesus' name. Don't let anybody do that because that's, you know what, that's unconstitutional and, and uh, that, that's offensive. Ask a question, why? Why is Jesus so scandalous? Why is Christianity offensive. Galatians 5.11 says it like this, and I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet, per- why, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. What? Why is the cross offensive? And yet it is. You'd, 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 I believe you would. I believe you'd be shocked at the churches around America that would not preach the cross. They have no desire to preach the cross. They call it a slaughterhouse religion. We don't want to preach that bloody mess, you know, at our church. Well, then you excuse us while we do. Why is it offensive? Why is it? And I believe I'll answer this today. Why is it when we knock on a door and personally confront people with the gospel, why are they so offended? You know, I've never understood that. Brother Mike, I've never understood that. No, Brother Mike's a soul winner. You know, and, and, and from time to time, we'll be out visiting, knock on the door, and folks come to the door, and they tell me that they're saved, and, and, and yet they are greatly offended because I knocked on them, their door and gave them a gospel track. I've only had that happen once in our home. We've lived there for 22 years. I've only had one person come by and give me a gospel track, and that was a joke because they knew preacher Steve lived there. And yet... If a soul winner came by my house and knocked on my door and said, sir, I'm just here to check on your soul. I'm going to tell you what, me, I'd be elated. I mean, it seems like a Christian would think, wow, man, I'm saved, but thank you for coming by and wanting to tell me about Jesus. Man, I appreciate that. Can you tell me why when we knock on a door and, and witnesses someone who claims to be saved that they are offended? When we take out a gospel track and Pass someone a gospel track and they crumple it up and throw it on the ground. Why? Why are they so offended at the gospel when we focus our sermons around the gospel? Why? Why are people so offended? Why do people never come back again? And here's the answer to that question. Because the true gospel message reminds people that they are sinners who desperately need a Savior. In fact, they desperately require a Savior. It's what we call, it's what we call the depravity of man, the depravity of man. Uh, people take great offense at being reminded that they are, de- they, that they are de- a depraved sinner who needs to be saved from an eternal hell. It is the most hated of all Christian doctrines. 
Have you ever wondered about this church? Have you ever wondered why the world hated Jesus so bad? Would you take your Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter seven, the gospel of John, John chapter seven. Now, again, hang in there with me just for a minute and, and, and think with me. Why, and we know this is the case because we read this, but why would the world hate the Lord Jesus Christ so bad? Think about it. How many believe that Jesus Christ was kind? He was kind. Nobody could debate that. He was kind. No doubt he was the kindest man that ever walked on the earth. Uh, he was not only kind, he was a healer. Um, he healed people. He uh, was a teacher. He, he fed the hungry. We know that on multiple occasions. He fed the hungry. He offered encouragement to the weary. He raised the dead back to life again. He healed the lepers. He healed those that had blind eyes. He healed the crippling. and they throw their, threw their crutches away. He supported the weak and on and on and on it goes. He did good work after good work after good work. He was great. He was, he was anointed. He was amazing. And yet the world hated him why well look at it in John 7 verse 1 after these things Jesus walked in Galilee for he would not walk in Jewry why because the Jews sought to kill him now folk I'm going to tell you something if somebody wants to kill you they hate you pretty bad verse 2 now the Jews feast of, of tabernacles was at hand his brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judea, that thy, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he, he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. Now look at this verse seven. The world cannot hate you. He's talking to his disciples. The world cannot hate you. Now, why did, why, why did the world not hate the disciples like, it, like they hated Jesus? Can I tell you one of the reasons? Because they had not yet really begun to carry the message of the gospel like Jesus was doing. After Jesus dies, goes to the graves, resurrected, ascends back to heaven, gives them the Holy Spirit, they begin to go out and be witnesses all over the world. And by the way, check it out, then they were hated. And verse seven, the world cannot hate you. Look what he says. Jesus says, but me, but me it hateth. Preacher, why? Look what it says. Jesus said, but me it hateth because I testify of it that the works thereof are what? Evil. Jesus reminded people that they were sinners in need of a savior. Not only did the world hate the Lord Jesus Christ, but we noticed something else. We noticed the religious leaders absolutely hated Jesus with a passion. Turn back a few pages, if you will, and look at Matthew chapter number 15. And we'll pick up speed here in just a moment, but it's good for us to lay this foundation. Matthew 15, and look at verse number one, if you will. Not only did the world hate Christ, but the religious leaders I mean, I'm trying to look for the right word. It was vehement. I mean, they literally, they literally could not stomach him. I mean, they, they wanted to do anything they could to try to take him off the, off the scene. Why is that, preacher? And here's the reason, because Jesus was faithful to remind them that all are sinners, even them. 
And so here's these bunch of religious zealots, these bunch of religious Pharisees who are all uppity up and high, high the hierarchy of religion. And Jesus Christ came on the scene and he pointed his finger at them and he said, you're wicked. And boy, they didn't like that. Look, look, look what it says. Matthew 15, verse one. Then came Jesus, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees. This is the religious crowd, which were of Jerusalem saying, why do thy disciples transgress the tr uh, tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? Whoa, wow. Ouch. You say, why is that an ouch preacher? Because nobody talked to them like that. Did you know they were the, they were the higher echelon of religion and they, by the way, they were careful to let you know it. They prayed in all the busy places. When they gave their offering, they gave their offering in such a way that everybody saw it. You know why? Because all, it was all about, look at me, look at me, look at me. And all of a sudden, Jesus confronts them. Verse four, for God commanded, saying, honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, whosoever shall say to his father and his mother, it's a gift, but whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father, father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God a none effect by your tradition. Look at verse seven. And Jesus says, ye hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Oh brother, can you see them boiling? Their blood pressure is already high because they're in his presence. They already hate him. And now he has told them they've broken the commandment. He's told them that they're hypocrites. And now he tells them their heart's far from him. Brother, they're boiling. Verse nine. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand, not that which goeth, uh, goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, that this defileth the man. Then, look at this, then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that the Pharisees were offended after they heard this saying? I guess so. They said, Master, you upset the apple cart today. He said, I know. You know why he upset the apple cart? Because he reminded these religious leaders, you're sinners. And their response was, whoa, you know who you're talking to? <laughs> oh, the Holy Spirit's helping us today. I can feel it. Do you know who you're talking to? Do you know that I'm a Pharisee? Do you know that I've memorized the first five books of the Bible? Do you know that I have, I have committed to memory the Pentateuch? Uh, I know every single book by memory. Do you know who you're talking to? And Jesus looked at him and said, let me tell you what you are. You're just like the Gentiles. You're sinners who need a Savior. And because of that, they hated him. Hey, Calvary, did you know the truth of the matter is every person's a sinner? Did you know that every single man in this room this morning is depraved? That every single woman is depraved? That every single teenager is lost in sin? Did you know that we are inherently evil? You say, boy, you'll never get me back. I'm gonna get you while you're here then. <laughs> hey, listen to what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7.20. For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. 
How about Romans 3.23? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How about Jeremiah 17, 9? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. How about Isaiah 53, 6? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. How about Isaiah 64 and verse number six? But we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we do all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Did you know today, Calvary, that people ask absolutely detest being reminded that they are a sinner. That's why it's the most hated Christian doctrine. That's why people don't want to track. That's why they don't want us to knock on their door. That's why they don't want preachers to preach the gospel. Why? Because it reminds them of a truth that you and I are sinners. We're sinners. We're sinners that need a savior. You say, not me, yeah, you. You say, no, preacher, not me, yes, you. You say, preacher, you don't know my background. How can you say that? I don't have to know your background. I'm just telling you, I know what the Bible says. And the Bible says that every last one of us, we're sinners. We're sinners. We're depraved. We're inherently evil. We need a Savior. Yes, sir. And because we preach that message, the world takes great offense. That's why the Bible labels him as a disallowed stone, as a rock of slander or a rock of offense. Why? Because people don't like to be reminded they're sinners. But church, I never thought about it like this. Did you know there's great danger in failing to see the depravity of man? If you don't recognize you're a sinner, let me tell you what happens. Pride creeps in. And that pride will cause us to make some very foolish decisions. For instance, number one, if we fail to see ourselves as sinners, we take for granted the importance of spiritual instruction. What do you mean, pastor? Okay, if I'm really not that bad, why do I need to attend Calvary every Sunday? I mean, if I'm really not that sinful, I don't need teaching and preaching every week. Now, I told you it's gonna be politically incorrect today. And yeah, that's where we are. Did you know they tell us, studies tell us that the church, church attendance is on a steady decline today. Churches are having less and less people attend. Now, there's numbers of reasons. Part of that's because they're not preaching the truth. Part of it's because churches are dead. But one of the reasons that, that there's a steady decline in church attendance is because people no longer see themselves as desperate sinners. I'm not depraved. I'm not inherently evil. And if I'm not really a sinner, then you know what? I really don't, I really don't have the need to go to church. Now, Brother Mike probably does because he's a sinner. And Brother Mike Hersey probably does because he's a sinner. And Brother Ricky, you know what? He probably needs it. But you see, I'm doing pretty good. And I came here uh, on behalf of the Lord to tell you something. You're not as good as you think you're good. We're sinners. You see, this is what I'm saying. If you recognize your sinful, depraved nature, you understand that church is an absolute must. I gotta get there. <laughs> I gotta be there. I got to be there. No, you don't understand what I'm saying. I gotta be there. 
Because you're the preacher? No, 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 no. You're missing it all together. I gotta be here. Because you love the people? Oh, I love the people, but I gotta be here. You know why I gotta be here? Because I'm a sinner. I'm depraved. I've got, a, I've got an old nature inside of me that continuously tries to rise up and it gets, tries to get me to do the wrong kind of things and think the wrong thoughts and say the wrong words and go the wrong direction. And, and because of that, I know something. Because I'm a sinner, man, I've got to get somewhere where there's some preaching going on and there's some teaching going on. I've got to be, you don't understand, I've got to be there now. You're here this morning say, preacher, not me, not me. More than you know. More than you know. You see, it's like taking a bath. You really don't have a choice. Now you can choose not to bathe. And I hate to tell you something. You're gonna stink. You say, Pastor, that's vulgar preaching. I know. But I'm trying to make a very important point. If you don't bathe just because you are what you are and I am what I am, we're gonna stink. You know why? We're human. We get dirty, we get sweaty, we get smelly. That's why after, the, after a long, hard day and you've worked and perspired and, and you have put forth effort, you've gotta go home, come home and you've gotta get the soap out and man, you've gotta take that shower. Why? Because it, it cleanses you and it makes you fresh again. Hey, that's exactly why you need to get to the house of God. Why? Because we're sinners who need a savior and every time you come into this place and the preacher begins to preach this book and the teacher begins to teach this book and the choir begins to sing about this book, you know what happens? You just walked into the spiritual shower. The spiritual instruction that we receive at church keeps us headed in the right direction. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 1, 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but into us which are saved, you know what it is? It's the power of God. <laughs> but in us which are saved, it's the power of God. It's exactly why the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Do you know why America needs to be in church today? They're sinners. Do you know why America is not in church today? Because they don't think they are. I don't need all that. You know what that is, friend? That's pride. I'm not as bad as Brother Donnie. I'm not as bad as Brother Russell. Now, these guys are sinners. They probably need it. But you see, I don't need a bath. <laughs> And everybody that's sitting around you right now saying, oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. But when we fail to see ourselves as sinners, number one, we take for granted the importance of spiritual instruction. Number two, we miss the significance of separation from sin. What do you mean, preacher? If I'm really not a bad sinner, there's really no reason I have to protect myself from sin. I can handle it. You see, preacher, others may fall, I won't. 
So, because I'm not a sinner, I can watch anything I want to watch. I can go anywhere I want to go. I can associate with whoever I want to hang around. I can listen to anything I want to hear. I can live any lifestyle I want to live. Now, church, this is what I'm saying. When we fail to see ourselves as depraved, you know what happens? We become careless. I'm not that bad. And because I'm not that bad, I can hang around this thing. Because I'm not that bad, I can look at this thing because I'm really not that bad. And yet the message of the word of God time and time again is this. You better realize something. You're a sinner. And when you realize you're a sinner, you realize, brother, I got to protect myself. Hey, take your Bibles this morning. And turn over to Matthew chapter number five. I don't want you to think this is something preacher's making up, and I don't think you do, but hey, I want to show you what the Lord Jesus Christ himself said. Jesus realized this. He realized we're depraved. He realized we're sinners. And that's exactly why when Jesus was preaching his sermon on the mount, we notice here that the Lord Jesus Christ challenges you and I to stay a step away from sin. Matthew 5, verse number 21 He says this in verse 21, Matthew 5, verse 21, Jesus said, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Look at verse 22. He said, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a call shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. In other words, Jesus comes to this crowd and says, hey, for all these years you've been saying don't kill, don't kill, don't kill, don't kill. And Jesus comes on the scene and says this, don't even get close. Don't even be angry. Don't even be angry with your brother. Look at it. Matthew chapter five, verse 27. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. And so don't commit adultery, don't commit adultery, don't commit adultery. That's what you've heard for all these years. And Jesus came and said, no, hey, don't even look. Don't even look. What, what, what's your point, preacher? My point is this, for years, you know what they were doing? They were, they were on the edge. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. And they're walking that tightrope of sin. They're not quite sinning, but they're right on the edge. And Jesus Christ comes on the scene and reminds them, you're sinners, you're depraved, you're inherently evil. Whatever you do, stay away from the edge. Don't even get close. Why? Because because of our sinful nature. If you walk close to the edge too long, you know what's going to happen? You're going to fall. You say, preacher, not me. Yeah, you. Not me, preacher. I'm a ministry head. Ministry heads fall every day. Not me. I'm a preacher. Oh, 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 my. Preachers fall every day. Deacons fall every day. Teachers fall every day. Church folk fall every day. You know why? Because they missed Are you listening to me this morning? They missed it somewhere along the line. Oh yeah, we're all sinners. Yeah, we're all sinners. Okay, let's go to the next verse. No, let's stay there for a little bit. We're sinners. We're sinners. 
You say, Pastor, I don't like I don't like you saying that. I know. I know. We don't like to hear that. But we're sinners. And because we're sinners, Jesus said, stay away from the edge. Because we're sinners, we must separate from sinfulness. Now, you know, we live in the, the craziest generation now. And so if a preacher gets up and preaches any kind of separation or morals, the church is legalistic. Don't go down to Calvary. They're legalistic. Most of the people who say that don't even know what it means. Legalistic is when you add something to salvation. You understand? I'm not separated so I can be saved. I am separated because I am saved. There's a big difference there. And so we come on the scene and we say, hey, live holy. Protect yourself. Do right. And people say, well, they're just being, they're, they're preaching that because they're legalistic. Listen to me, church. I'm not preaching that because we're legalistic. I'm preaching that because we're sinners. Are y'all hearing me? We're sinners. We're sinners. And you've got a pastor that gets up here on a Sunday morning and waves the white flag and says, hey, don't go that way. Don't go that way. Don't go that way because you can't handle it. And neither can I. Why? Because we're depraved. It's why young ladies ought to dress modestly and not show off their bodies. It's why you young people might want to include a chaperone in your dating life. You say, wow, preacher, you're prehistoric. Only as prehistoric as this book. Well, why would I want to take a chaperone on my date? Because you're a sinner. It's why you want to be so careful about physical touch. It's why spouses ought to have total access to one another's electronic devices. Well, she don't know my password. She ought to. And he ought to know yours. And if you have to keep your electronic device turned over at all times and make sure you keep it away from your spouse, there's trouble, brother. Why? Because we're sinners. It's why Job made a covenant with his eyes. He recognized himself as a depraved sinner. It's why Joseph left his coat in the hand of Potiphar's wife and got him out. He didn't hang around. You know why? He recognized himself as a sinner. It's why Paul cautioned the men of Corinth about touching women who were not their wives. Why? He recognized their sinful condition. It's why when visiting, when I'm out visiting and the lady of the house answers the door, I say, hello, is your husband here? And when she says, no, but he's, he'll be here soon, come in. And I say, thank you for your invitation. But I'll just stay outside. Wow, preacher. You must be worse than we thought. I am. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. Not me. Be careful. Be careful. Hey, stay away. Stay away from the edge. 
It's why evangelist Billy Graham decided to abide by what was known as the Modesto Manifesto. In 1948, Billy Graham held a series of evangelistic meetings in Modesto, California, and he with Cliff Barrows, Grady Wilson, and George Beverly Shea resolved to, quote, avoid any situation that would, even, uh, that would have even the appearance of compromise or suspicion. The accountability agreement became known as the Modesto Manifesto, and it covered not only their interaction with women, but also commitments to integrity with respect to finances, their interactions with local churches, and publicity. From that time onward, 1948, Billy Graham made it a point of not traveling or meeting or eating alone with a woman other than Ruth. Billy Graham must have been really immoral. No, Billy Graham realized something. We're depraved. In fact, they went on to say that Billy Graham would not even get on an elevator by himself with another woman because Billy Graham was smart enough to understand the depravity of man. He knew he was a sinner and he must be careful. Hey, kids, I know I seem elderly to you and I'm not old you're only as old as you think you are and I don't think I'm very old I'm telling you that but I know to you I seem like a t-rex and you and I and I seem so disjointed from society and culture and hey kids could you at least do this just thank God you have a preacher that's willing to come in here and, and warn you and say don't get close to the edge I'm not saying you're not good kids. I'm not saying you're not good teenagers. I think we have some of the best teenagers at Calvary, but I want all of our teenagers to understand something. You're a sinner. And all of you staff men, we're sinners. Oh, man. Oh, man. And all of you deacons, we're sinners. And all of you Sunday school teachers and choir members, and a hospitality team, and youth workers. We're sinners. And because we're sinners, you know what that means? Man, I gotta protect myself. I can't even get close to it. I can't even put myself in a questionable, it's a questionable situation. I can't even put myself in it, why? We're depraved. All have sinned come short of the glory of God. It's the most hated Christian doctrine because people don't want somebody telling them, I'm a sinner, <laughs> but you are. And so when we fail to see ourselves as sinners, we take for granted the importance of spiritual instruction. We miss the significance of separation from sin. We're done. Look at this, because this is, boy, this is vital. We rebel at the necessity for soul salvation. Did you know there are people who don't really feel like they need salvation? You know why? They don't think they're sinners. You know, friend, listen. Y'all know there's something worse than going to hell. Did you know there's something worse than going to hell? You say, Pastor, what on earth could be worse than going to hell? Going to hell thinking you were going to heaven. 
And you get to that point where you think, you know what? I don't need to be saved like Cameron, Allison, and Mike, and Miss Tammy. Yes, you do. Because you're a sinner. Jesus came. uh, Jesus was preaching and teaching, and the Bible tells us that a rich young ruler came to the Lord. And he said, good master, he said, what commandments do I need to keep so I can inherit eternal life? And the Lord Jesus began to speak some commandments, and he said, oh, I kept that. And Jesus gave another command. Oh, I've kept that from my youth. And Jesus gave another command. Oh, he said, I've done that one. And he said, all these I've kept. What what lack I yet? In other words, man, if anybody ought to make it to heaven, you're looking at him. And did you know that America is full of rich young rulers who feel like, you know what? If anybody ought to make it to heaven, you're looking at him, friend. Very lovingly and very kindly, I want to tell you something. You're a sinner. You're depraved. You're inherently evil. And because of that, you need a Savior. You need a Savior. Mark Twain said it like this. We're all like the moon. We have a dark side that we don't want anybody to see. Several years ago, Chuck Swindoll wrote a book on salvation. And in that book, he said this, if depravity were blue, we'd bleed blue all over. Cut us anywhere and we'd bleed blue. Cut into our minds and you'll find blue thoughts. Cut into your vision, there's blue images full of greed and lust. Cut into your hearts and there are blue emotions of hatred, revenge, and blame. Cut into your wills and you'll find deep blue decisions and responses. What's that mean, preacher? We're sinners. Will you say, pastor, okay. Is there any hope? There is hope. There's hope for the sinner if you'll be willing to place your faith in Jesus Christ and cry out to him for salvation. Did you know our Bible tells us that Jesus offers you imputed righteousness? Let me just read it for you. Romans 4.22, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it's not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Did you know that if you're willing to admit that you're a sinner lost and on your way to hell and you'll be willing to receive Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible says that God will impute to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You know what that means, church? Look at this. When Brother Rodney got saved, and I'm sure he shared his testimony with me, When Brother Rodney got saved, he was a sinner. We're still sinners, by the way, but we're saved sinners. When Brother Rodney got saved, he realized he was a sinner in need of a Savior. And at that very moment that he opened his heart and let Jesus come into his life, you know what happened? God imputed to him righteousness. He gave Rodney the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and he took the unrighteousness of Brother Rodney and put that on his son, Jesus. Well, that's shouting around right there. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I don't know for sure that I'm saved. You need that imputed righteousness. You say, Preacher, I'm a good person. I'm a charter member. I've been baptized. You know, I've uh, kept the commandments. I've 
you know, I've prayed the rosary. I've, I've been, uh, you know, all these things I've done, you know. Listen to me. Realize today you're a depraved sinner that must have a Savior. And today, in faith, come to Jesus. Let's bow his Father. We love you. God, thank you. I want to thank you for showing me this. God, we're sinners. Because we're sinners, we need this house. We need preaching. We need teaching. Because we're sinners, God, we need to separate from sin. Lord, we need to stay away from the edge. We need to guard our testimony. Because we're sinners, we need that imputed righteousness. We need salvation. In fact, we've got to have it. Lord, maybe there's somebody here today who doesn't know for sure that they're on their way to heaven. And Father, today you've revealed that to them, that if they died right now, they might just die in their sin and go to hell if that's the case. In just a moment, I pray they will run down to this altar. And God, I pray they'll come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Father, work in hearts. God, help Christians. Maybe some Christians need to come down around this altar today and rededicate their life, their separation, their sanctification to the Lord. Maybe there's someone here today and they've been skirting sin. They've been staying too close to sin. And today they would come and say, Lord, I'm going to protect myself. I'm sorry. I'm going to protect myself. Lord, whatever it might be, God, I pray that you'd work and have your way. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Can I ask a question? How many are here today? Not a popular message, church. I know that. But one that we need to hear. How many are here today would say, Pastor, if I died today, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm on my way to heaven. I know that I've been gloriously saved. Without anybody looking around, you just very quietly slip up your hand and say, Preacher, I know that I'm born again. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Wonderful, wonderful. Hallelujah. Thank you. You can lower your hands. Great. Let me ask you this, though. How many are here today? I'm not going to come back and get you. I'm not going to come back and try to drag you down the aisle. But I would like to pray for you. And right now, you'd say, Pastor, Pastor Pope, if I died today, I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure about heaven. Oh, I want you to pray for me, preacher. Please, I'm not sure of heaven. I want to go to heaven. I'm just not sure I would go. And I want you to pray for me. How many's like that today? You just slip your hand up right now. Just raise it up right now. Preacher, if I died, I'm not sure of heaven. I see some hands. Is there another? Is there another? Anywhere, just raise them up real high so I can see the hands. Preacher, if I died, I'm not sure of heaven. Would you pray for me? Is there another? You haven't raised it yet, but you'll raise it now. Is there somebody else? Pastor, remember me. Remember me. So, Father, I thank you for these hands that were lifted. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll do a work of grace in their life right now. Show them their need of Jesus. Give them understanding. God, draw them to yourself. And I pray, that, Lord, that they'll leave this place knowing that they know that they know that they're on their way to heaven. God, save the lost today, those watching by way of live stream. Father, that are lost and undone without Jesus, Lord, reveal to them they're sinners. 
that are in desperate need of a Savior. And I pray that today that you'll draw them and they'll come to Christ. Have your way, please. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Hey, Christian, how about you? Maybe today God has spoken to your heart, reminded you of how important it is that you're faithful to the Lord's house. Or maybe today the Lord has reminded you, stay away from sin. Stay away from the edge. Man, protect yourself. Protect yourself. If God has spoken to your heart today in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to come. Just seal that decision at an old-fashioned altar this morning. You're here this morning, Pastor, I'm not right with God. I know I'm not. I am not right with God. I want you to come. I want you to come. And I want you to make things right with the Lord today. I want you to come. Preacher, I'm not, I, I, I've been saved, but I've not been baptized. I want you to come. Whatever it might be, all right? So let's all stand this morning. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. You slip out and come today to the altar. Father, thank you for your blessings. God, have your way in this invitation. Lord, deal with hearts, I pray. Father, help us to, help us to realize that we are sinners and we're in desperate need of your care. We're in desperate need. Lord, if we're lost, we're in desperate need of salvation. Reveal it to them, Lord. God, save the lost. And I pray that others will do business with Christ today. And Lord, we thank you and love you in Jesus' name. I'm gonna ask our personal workers if they would make their way to the front this morning. Those who help us with our personal work, just come down and get in the altar. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure of heaven. Listen, would you come right now? Would you come? We'd like to take the Bible and show you how to be saved. Would you do that? If you're watching the broadcast right now, there's a number on the bottom of your screen. And we have some wonderful folks that are waiting by the phone right now. Would you call that number? And they would love to pray with you over the phone right now and share Christ with you. Would you call right now? Hey, child of God, would you rededicate your life to the Lord today? Would you make a renewed commitment to keep yourself right, holy, and pure before the Lord?